Hello, and welcome in to yet another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. Uh, my name is Jake Fenner, and I'd like to apologize for not putting out episodes of the podcast earlier this week. Um, I had a really, really bad virus that basically kept me in bed from Wednesday all the way up until Saturday. It was really bad. Uh, I don't want to go into too much of the gory details, but ended up in the hospital uh, with something. And uh, now, after like 18 hours of sleep and way too much water and Gatorade for one normal human being to consume, I am back and I'm feeling a little bit better, and therefore the podcasts are back. I am joined by our Twittermeister, Tom Adams. Tom, I hope your weekend was a lot better than mine. Yeah, I'm very, very glad you're feeling better. Uh, I hate to say I did actually have a pretty solid weekend, uh, bar Bayern's result against Hoffenheim. You know, it is the last weekend of Oktoberfest, so I can say that I thoroughly enjoyed the last of my Polaner Oktoberfest Weizen beer um, this past Saturday uh, to close out Oktoberfest in style. So since we didn't cover the win against Tottenham in a episode last week, we're going to take care of that right now before we get into the events that took place against Hoffenheim this weekend. So let's remember back to this Tuesday when uh, when Bayern Munich went up to North London to take on Spurs in their new stadium, which I'm very angry. It is not called White Hart Lane. Just call it White Hart Lane already. I'm not even a Tottenham fan, and that's really dumb that you're calling it Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Just figure it out already. Uh, Hüttman Son opened up the goal scoring in the 12th minute. Uh, Quarantine Tolisso flopped like he was LeBron James. I had no clue what he was doing. He literally just fell down on the ground trying to say that Son touched him. He didn't. And then he just held his arms up to the ref like it was terrible. Like, Coco, you got to work on that. If you're going to try to flop, you're going to try to do it better. Uh, the ref doesn't do anything because, you know, he's smarter than that. Uh, and then Son sniped Neuer from a little ways out to open up the score sheet for Tottenham. And then not three minutes later, Joshua Kimmich scored an absolute rocket from about 25 to 30 yards out to tie up the score sheet. And I know that we here, at least Tom and I, hold the opinion that Kimmich is better as a right back. And I still think that he is better as a right back, but that's not to doubt his abilities in central midfield because he hit that thing like a missile. And then in the 45th minute, my favorite my favorite goal from this game, uh, it was a cross into the box and a scramble for it. The ball popped out. Taliso picked it up and tried to dribble it in, went down, looked like a foul and a possible penalty. Uh, Lewandowski got to it, took one dribble, and then somehow curled it around his foot and shot it right underneath Hugo Lloris into the right corner and I have to admit I screamed out loud when that goal went in that was absolutely beautiful and then we're gonna go to each we're gonna go to Serge Gnabry's performance individually in a separate question but he scored in the 53rd and 55th minute before Harry Kane 
doubled up Tottenham's goal scoring with a penalty kick. Danny Rose came in from the top of the box trying to win the ball with Kingsley Coman. Uh, it was a clear foul from Coman. I won't debate that, but it was kind of unclear where it took place. Kane stepped up, uh, and it was all over from there after the ref pointed at the spot. Then Gnabry scored yet another goal in the 83rd. Lewandowski in the 87th hit a really beautiful strike into the side netting. And then Gnabry scored again in the 88th to make it 7-2. to So, Tom, barring the Gnabry goals, uh, we'll get to that into the next question after this one. But for everybody else on the team, what did you think of the performance overall? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting to look at this result. Obviously, absolutely elated that Bayern got the 7-2 win uh, in the end to keep them top of Group B. But this one, as you mentioned, it really, when uh, Tolisso took that flop and Son, you know, opened up the scoring, it did seem as if, oh no, it's going to be another one of those games for Bayern getting caught out, you know, making needless and very, very cheap errors. Neuer will probably be looking back at that footage and, you know, feeling a little hard done by um, for being left 1v1 with Son and perhaps even feeling that he could have done better with that opportunity. He did get his right hand to it, but it just wasn't enough to keep out Son's effort. But as you mentioned, Kimmich with an absolute worldie of a curler in the 15th minute, I believe it was Sissoko that he just completely wrong-footed, tucked it into the back of the bottom left corner, you know, giving Hugo Reese no chance. And I really do think that um, despite the result, I do think Tottenham, um, they did win their battles in the midfield in the first half, and I think that this game really did turn on its head. As you mentioned, when Lewandowski um, put Bayern ahead 2-1 to one with his goal, credit to him for staying with that play. It did look as if there might have been a potential uh, penalty shout for Tolisso, who hit the deck. Ironically, as the play continued, he kind of got back up, but it was Lewandowski who had actually, if you recall, had that amazing little backheel touch over, I believe it was either Vertonghen or Alderweireld, right on the byline, played in the cross, the skirmish happened in the box, the potential penalty shout, Lewandowski stayed with the play, lo and behold, he gets it, takes a quick little turn, opens himself up, creates a half yard of space, bang, bottom right corner, and this game completely changed. Um, and then Tiago coming on at halftime, you can almost look at uh, David Alba's injury as a bit of a blessing uh, in disguise, even though it does hurt not having him, no pun intended, in the squad. And obviously Boateng leaving this game in the second half with his respective injury as well. But I just thought that Tiago made such a big difference when he came on. You know, I felt that there were a lot of times in the first half when, you know, Coutinho seemed kind of irrelevant and he was getting bossed off and muscled off the ball by Ndombele, uh, Sissoko, guys who are really physically bigger than him. And I thought that Tottenham actually had somewhat of a foothold in the midfield. But when Thiago came on, uh, that all seemed to change. And then obviously it didn't take us too long to completely unleash our secret weapon that is Serge Gnabry uh, in this one. Yes, I think uh, Kane's penalty was a little bit soft. Um, when Danny Rose came in, you can see that both players are going for the ball. Uh, Rose is kind of midair. Coman is midair. I think Coman is honestly, earnestly just trying to go for the ball. And he even, you know, did what he could to pull back when he realized that Rose was going to beat him. But, you know, that's the referee's decision. I don't even remember if it went to VAR, but it was deemed a penalty. Kane steps up. Uh, you can't really doubt him from the spot. You know, he's one of the most prolific penalty scorers. But, you know, credit to Bayern Munich. You know, even going 2-2 after that, or sorry, even after uh, conceding that goal, 
But yeah, so you thought that there might be a way back in uh, to the game for Tottenham, but credit to Bayern for pushing on. Pochettino made some substitutions. You know, a lot of people often argue why he doesn't give Lucas Mora some time. Perhaps this one could have gone a bit differently had he started him uh, up top alongside Son and, and Harry Kane because I think he's a bit of a difference maker, but I think it was just a little bit uh, too much, too late. Uh, with both Erickson, Mora, and then Lamella coming on for Tottenham, especially with the uh, the form that Gnabry was in. Kind of seemed that in the second half, everything he touched uh, turned to gold. And I know, as you said, we are, uh, we're going to get into that. If you've been on Instagram or on Twitter over the last, I don't know, I'd probably say they're still talking about it a couple of days later. They've been talking about Serge Gnabry's performance as possibly the performance of a lifetime, the performance of the year. They're comparing it to performances from Ronaldo and Messi and all these other people. But in and of itself, it was just a wonderful performance from him. Somehow he was able to go ahead and score four goals, pulled it out of the bag. The former Arsenal man showing that North London is still red. He lit up his former rival, probably would say still his uh, current rival and I would just like to go ahead and thank Arsene Wenger from the bottom of my heart uh, thank you very much for selling him to us for six million euros even though now he's valued I believe according to transfer marked somewhere around 50 million uh, and somebody was pointing out the difference between the six million dollar price tag that he sold him for with the 87 million euro price tag they paid for Nicolas Pepe, who, as much as Tom and I both think he would have done well for Bayern Munich, uh, I can now say he definitely probably would not have done well at all for Bayern Munich. He has done terribly for Arsenal so far, and Gnabry's been phenomenal so far. And uh, Tom, why don't you go ahead and take us through each of the four goals that he scored? Yeah, of course. I mean, and they were all quality goals. And the first one is just personally my favorite. I think with the others, he got a lot of help from his teammates. At this first one, he just picks up the ball midway through, uh, or I should say uh, midway through Tottenham's half, just takes Aurier and Alderweireld for a complete ride. Puts Aurier on the deck with a little burst of speed, a little change of direction, a little tilt of the hips. Um, Keeps dribbling, just a few steps out from the 18-yard box. He has Alderweireld right on his side and just pulls the trigger, bottom right corner, vintage Serge Gnabry. And what I love about this is it's just a player who's not afraid to take someone on, uh, especially a world-class defender like Alderweireld, which is something that's definitely going to suit Bayern in the Champions League. You know, a lot of these games have a tendency to be so open, especially when we're not playing back domestically uh, in the Bundesliga where teams know to just sit back and, you know, defend for their lives against us. In these more free-flowing, you know, uh, ebb and flow types of games, you want a player who's not afraid to take someone on and just, you know, completely go go alone when the time is right. And obviously on the other side, we have Kingsley Coman, who's someone who's well demonstrated the ability to do that. So, so to have that on both flanks uh, is just absolutely uh, essential. So this was just one of my favorite goals from him in this game. Uh, and then the second goal uh, from Gnabry was, uh, as I said, he got a lot of help from one of his teammates. 
Uh, Quarantan Taliso completely stripped Harry Winks, you know, trying to make a little bit of a half turn uh, on the ball. To be fair, I think it was Vertonghen had played him the ball when he was under uh, a little bit of pressure. I believe it was from t- both Taliso uh, and Coutinho, who had pushed very high up the pitch. Talisa wins the ball, takes one touch, passes it to Gnabry. Gnabry takes two touches, open up, opens up his hips, uh, and this time hits it with his left foot uh, from the top of the left corner of the box into the bottom right corner. In fact, it even hit the inside of the right post on its way in. As I said, uh, that goal pretty much all due to Talisa, but you can't you can't discredit the uh, the fine footwork and the fine finish uh, from Gnabry. Another third goal he scored in the 83rd minute. This one has all got to come down to Tiago Alcantara because he has the ball just, I would say, maybe 15 to 20 yards outside of Bayern's 18-yard box and just plays an absolute dinger of a pass to Serge Gnabry. Just a simple ball over over the top. It had a little bit of a banana curve on it, so to speak, uh, where it curves in the opposite direction because it's hit uh, with pure lace. And Gnabry just takes it down wonderfully with his first touch. Uh, takes a few steps and then just strides it in to the bottom right corner, almost the exact same spot that he beat uh, Yoris from uh, on his first goal in the 53rd minute. Uh, and then again, just to round out the scoring, uh, Gnabry's fourth goal was actually Bayern's seventh uh, in the last of the match. It came just one minute after Lewandowski had made it 6-2 in the 87th minute. Um, it was actually Tolisso again who had won the ball um, deep into uh, Tottenham's half, but this time Gnabry had a little bit more work to do because he did have Vertonghen and Danny Rose just in front of him. But again, it was just one of those things. He gave himself uh, a few yards of space by taking a touch with the outside of his foot and then just absolutely hammering it home with his right foot. A very nice drilled arrowed effort into the upper left corner of uh, Yoris's goal and just completely rounding out the victory uh, and proving to all of England how wrong they were about him. And that was just what, what was so great about this, especially uh, with it being Tottenham, you know, with his history with, um, at Arsenal, you know. And I know he was very vociferous after the game on his social media that's saying London is red. But uh, we hate to uh, break the news to you fans. That's Bayern red, not Arsenal red. Sorry, Gunners fans. Now we move on to the part of the show that we like to call Tottenham are absolute garbage. Uh <laughs> So, as we've mentioned in the preview for this game, they've been absolutely terrible. And they capped that off this weekend with a 3 nothing loss to Brighton and Hove Albion. And for those that are not aware of what the Premier League table currently looks like, Brighton and Hove are about seven spots from the bottom, which means that they are four spots from relegation. So it's an absolute shit show over there in North London. For some reason, they're starting Lucas Mora on the bench, the man that helped them the most in their campaign to get to the Champions League final last year. There's apparently some kind of blow-up between... Christian Eriksen and Jan Vertonghen. I know Tom wants to get into that, but uh, I have I have a long-running theory that Mauricio Pochettino is the only thing keeping all of Tottenham together, and uh, the veneer is cracking, and a lot of Tottenham fans are beginning to blame Pochettino for all of their problems. So I think once Pochettino goes, hopefully this summer because I could not imagine what would happen to Tottenham if he left 
in the winter time, but uh, I think you see most of them go. I think you see their back line leave. I don't think Lloris would leave, though. Uh, Deli Alley probably going to, like, Man United or something like that. Harry Kane would go to Real Madrid because, you know, they need another striker. Um, and, yeah, I think Pochettino might end up being, like, the most important free agent signing next summer for anybody because you see a lot of teams. You see, of course, Manchester United. You see, in some cases, you're talking about Juventus. Yeah, sure, they're winning and the league but they're not looking really exciting under Maurizio Sarri uh you see Real Madrid really struggling you might ask if they would sack uh, Zinedine Zidane yet again uh, so and then of course you've got the question of potentially Bayern Munich because you know apparently Niko Kovac isn't the most liked manager by half of the fan base so Tom uh why don't you go ahead and rail on Tottenham and then let me know if you think uh, Mauricio Pochettino would be a good fit at Bayern Munich if it came to Niko Kovac getting the sack. Yeah, 100%. And just to kind of say a first statement on that, I really don't think it's Pochettino that's the problem. I just think that that dressing room has completely lost itself, in a sense, amongst the squad. You know, just going all the way back to the summer transfer window, you know, you have things... Uh, the club is refusing to give Vertonghen uh, a new contract, even though he's made it clear he wants a new contract or he's going to leave. Christian Eriksen was heavily linked with a move to Real Madrid, uh, and he kind of made it clear that he wanted to go. But for whatever reason, personal terms and perhaps some of the other business that Real Madrid was doing in the transfer window uh, in the summer deterred that from happening. And so I think a lot of what you have is, you know, a, a lot of figures that just don't want to be in the squad and in that dressing room. And even if they're not showing it with what they're doing, you know, it, it creeps its way into the squad and there's just such a uh, sense of complacency and, you know, a, a somniferous attitude that just comes into play with guys don't want that don't want to be there. And, you know, Tottenham, you think they have a good summer transfer window. They buy Ndombele, Lacelslo. Uh, Again, just to echo off what you were saying and what I said just a few moments ago, I don't think it's Pochettino that's the problem. Yes, you have... All these rumblings, people are saying that um, there's something going on with uh, Jan Vertonghen and Christian Eriksen's wife. I won't go into details on that. You know, Eriksen has since come out and said that that's complete rubbish and there's nothing there. But, you know, going back to what I said, it's evident that both of those players, you know, have some serious doubts uh, with regards to their future with the club. And, you know, maybe both want to leave. And as two of the more senior figures in that squad, um, those are players that Pochettino needs to be able to call upon to be leaders, you know, alongside uh, Yoris, Kane. And, and now, as I showed you uh, earlier today, Yoris is now going to be out for quite some time. I, not for the faint of heart, uh, but if you do want to see his injury, it is all over social media. I feel very bad for the guy. It happened uh, during the Brighton loss uh, yesterday towards the beginning of the game, which obviously didn't help Tottenham at all in that match. But um you know, speedy recovery to him. You hate to see that happen to anyone. His arm just looked all mixed and mangled, and you know that's going to be a big injury layover. But, but yeah, this especially coming off of the seven-two hammering um, at the hands of Bayern Munich, that loss to Brighton just kind of you know highlights where their season is at. You know, there's just no spine in that squad. Or Jake, as you had said, you know why he's not starting Lucas Mora and why he rates Lamella 
uh, more than him and you know why towards the beginning of the season he was leaving Erickson on the bench even though the player wanted wanted to leave you know just just put that on the side Erickson is a is a class player one of the better players in the squad I personally rate him over Lamella um, you know and they didn't have Son obviously available because he was serving his red card suspension from the end of last season uh, so just that I mean, you can credit or you can question some of Pochettino's lineup decisions, but when the players are out on the pitch, when the manager picks the starting eleven uh, and the substitutes, and they're out on the pitch and they don't perform, you know how much of that is actually the manager and not the players? You know I, I do kind of feel bad for Pochettino. And to answer your last question, uh, Pochettino was a class manager. He obviously took a side uh, that didn't do any business for three consecutive transfer four excuse me four consecutive transfer windows. Took them all the way to the Champions League final. Yes, I think that if something were to completely fail with Kovac and uh, Rumeniga and Honus and uh, Salihimidis, if they decide that Kovac needs to go, I don't see you know any problems with uh, Pochettino, and I don't see any reason why he couldn't be a good fit for us. I actually think that he would be uh, a very good fit for us, but the question is whether that opportunity would ever present itself. So we're going to go ahead and take a break right now. And when we come back, we will go ahead and discuss the yang to this Tottenham wins yin, the loss this weekend to Hoffenheim when we come back. Hey, everyone. Just one quick thing before we get into the second half of this podcast. I have some... uh, I have some updates and some interesting news that we have from our end from the Bavarian podcast and the Bavarian football works end of things. Um, Unfortunately, uh, Chuck Smith has decided to take a step back and will no longer be contributing to Bavarian football works and therefore he won't be contributing on this podcast anymore uh he had to step aside because of time concerns and issues with being able to like find a balance and that makes perfect sense because you know chuck did a lot for the blog and for the podcast and we're gonna miss him a lot i know certainly i'm gonna miss him he was instrumental in helping us getting this off the ground. And um yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be sad, at least from my end. Um I know he'll still listen. I know he's probably listening now. Chuck, I miss ya. And yeah. Um I'm not sure who we're going to find to be able to replace him or if we're going to find somebody to replace him or what we're going to do from this moment forward. But if anything changes in terms of that, we will let you know. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get into the rest of the episode. Welcome back. Now with every meteoric rise, there must be an equal or opposite meteoric fall. Uh, and that meteoric fall happened against Hoffenheim. Now, I will be the one to argue that every team is allowed a meteoric fall, right? Just because Bayern Munich lost to Hoffenheim after going 6-2 and two in their first eight games of the season, 
if you include Champions League games and you don't include Pakal games, because my brain works that way, we're allowed to have this loss, right? This one loss does not mean the season is over. It does not mean that this team is the worst team in the Bundesliga. It doesn't mean we're the worst Bayern Munich team out there, right? Don't buy into that, right? Look at what this team has been able to accomplish with some players that are world-class and some that are phenomenal talents that are being slowly and carefully nurtured and built up, right? The season's not over. This team is not terrible. We're allowed to slip up once in a while, and we just so happen to make sure that that slip-up happened right before the international break. So let's get into this. First goal for Hoffenheim came in the 54th minute from Adamian. He shot it with Boateng marked really close to him. Boateng, buddy, you got to slide in earlier. If you're right there and you're marking this guy and the ball is right there, don't give him time to dribble. Body him off the ball. Step in and stop him. I don't know what caused him to wait so long to slide until after Adamian's uh, dribble took it to the outside of Boateng, and then he shot it, and it went underneath Neuer, but just took way too long for Boateng to make a decision on that goal-scoring chance that Hoffenheim converted. Then we look at Robert Lewandowski's wonderful header, in the 73rd minute, it was beautiful. It went in to the uh, keeper's left side netting, continuing his goal-scoring streak in the Bundesliga and in all competitions. And then six minutes later, Adamian shot a ball right between Boateng's legs. Neuer dived to the correct side, but he just missed it. And so 2-1 was the final score against Hoffenheim. Going back to my previous point of Bayern Munich not being a bad team, they had 64% possession to Hoffenheim's 36. They had 9 fouls to Hoffenheim's 12. They had 9 corners to Hoffenheim's 3. They only lost in terms of yellow cards 2 to nothing, and shots on goal. Now, Hoffenheim had 5 shots on goal out of 8. Bayern Munich had 4 out of 20. Parentheses blaze it. So, Bayern Munich didn't come away with a terrible performance per se. Could they have put more of those shots on target? Absolutely. Were there some players that had a bad game? Definitely. I can name a couple off of the top of my head. But does that mean it's a bad team overall? No. Could Thomas Muller have played a little longer? Yeah, I personally would have subbed him off for Coutinho, which is a debate for a couple episodes down from now when we have more stats compiled on the both of them. But Tom, what did you think overall of this game and where do you think Bayern currently stand? Now this game for a Bayern perspective, you know, we're all thinking of the hangover from the the massive win midweek in the Champions League over Tottenham, but a few words that come to mind would just be uh, disjointed, uh, passive, uh, and I would say just a, just a severe lack of control. I was a bit surprised to see Niko Kovac uh, put out a starting 11 that was almost identical to the one that thrashed Tottenham. While it was a good result, you know, that's a lot of minutes 
uh, in the legs. And that only change, by the way, was uh, Tiago coming into the starting lineup for the uh, the injured David Alaba. But just everything about this game, you know, as you mentioned, Adamian with the um, the brace that ultimately, you know, gave Hoffenheim the win. So much of this was just a lot of what we've seen before. Um, Alfred Schroeder came out with a very compact shape. Um, I thought that um, in addition to Adamian getting the brace, two of the guys I really thought uh, did a fantastic job for Hoffenheim were Elas Bebu and Pavel Ketabarik uh, on the flanks. And I think what they did a great job of is, you know, getting back as far as they could when Bayern were pushing up, trying to force the issue, um, making things really compact and making it very difficult uh, for Bayern to find any spaces. You know, a, a lot of what was going on before, you know, this game went in to the halftime interval 0-0 and a lot of what the first half was, you know, Bayern bossing possession and just struggling to find those spaces to get into and, you know, struggling to break down Hoffenheim's deep block. And it's just so often the case, you know, when um, clubs come to, to the Allianz Arena, who obviously are much, much weaker on paper than Bayern, um, but they were able to go after Bayern's Achilles heel, which is on those counterattacks and just some very, you know, cheap, sloppy defending. Uh, both of Damian's goal, as you mentioned, uh, could have been avoided, you know, on the second especially. It's just a simple lateral pass played into a Damian and why he has so much space and not even space, I should say, so much time to turn in such a, you know, compact area. Both Nicolas Sul and Boateng were very, very slow to come out and close him. You know, he's actually almost even like falling down when he strikes the ball, and it almost seemed to have kind of helped um, the way he struck it, but, you know, didn't really give Neuer too many chances because it was really tucked into the bottom right corner. And on the first goal, you know, it, as you said, Boateng's just, again, a little bit too slow to close him down. And, you know, I think that uh, Neuer was expecting Adamian to go into the far post, but in reality, he wound up putting it, you know, just around Boateng and to the near post. And you could visibly see the frustration on Neuer's face. I, I really felt that uh, after seeing that, it was just going to be one of those days, especially with Hoffenheim getting that goal early in the second half. You know, it just forces Bayern uh, to force the issue. You know, a, a lot of what we saw was just Bayern starting to play a bit more direct than they probably would have liked. And every time that happens against a compact team, you know, uh, 60-40 or 70-30 balls turn into 50-50s. And if, you know, Hoffenheim are winning those balls, they can immediately spring counterattacks. The game becomes more open, especially when Kimmich and Pavard are pushed forward. Even Sula and Boateng up towards the midway line when they're trying to you know, get involved and create plays from the back and, you know, press forward and, you know, help help become an option for the midfielders that are in profession, uh, possession. Excuse me. Uh, I will say that the game changed a bit for the better uh, when both Perisic uh, and Thomas Muller came on for uh, Coleman and Tolisso, respectively. I did think that this was one of Tolisso's uh, weakest games of the season. He kind of had a, uh, a kind of 50-50 game against Tottenham, did make a lot of errors, but he also did help create a lot of the goals. But uh, against Hoffenheim, I just thought he was uh, sluggish and sloppy and, you know, gave away possession cheaply uh, for Bayern far too often in this game. Coleman, I'm not sure I would have brought off if I was uh, Kovac. I know he might have had a lot of minutes under his legs and he might have been suffering from a bit of fatigue. But, you know, for Coleman and Gnabry, they're two guys that are really not afraid to take players on on Bayern's flanks. And I think that's what in the closing stages for what it was worth especially after Lewandowski had equalized uh, in the 73rd minute. I think those were the type of players that uh, Niko Kovac needed to leave on the pitch. 
you know, those one player, like Coman and Gnabry, they can just have that one little flash where they take one player on. Uh, if they beat them, they could uh, send a ball in, cause some danger. You never know what can happen with that. But, you know, that that's just he made the decision to <clears throat> bring on Perisic instead, who, in my opinion, was mediocre at best. And Adamian scored that goal in the 79th minute, and it was just an unfortunate loss for Bayern. You know, it's so often the case where we don't give up a lot of shots, but the shots we give up go in. And that's just something that we're going to have to get back to the drawing board and completely cut out. So it's a wacky weekend at the end of it all for the Bundesliga table. The current top four looks like Borussia Mönchengladbach, VfL Wolfsburg, Bayern Munich, and RB Leipzig. Now, of course, we are going into the international break, which means that we will not be covering anything. So we won't be doing any Ausblix or a BPW show because there's only one qualifier for the German national team, and then they play a friendly against Argentina. But in place of that, you guys will be getting a very special treat we are doing our very first interview with a special guest, which I am going to withhold the name of. You guys will just have to wait and see, and hopefully you guys enjoy that. So I guess this would be a good a place as any to wrap up this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks. You can follow me on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner. You can follow Tom on Twitter at TommyAdams71, but he is mostly on that Bavarian podcast work, Bavarian football works account. And for all your greatest and latest German and Bayern Munich soccer content, be sure to find us and read us at BavarianFootballWorks.com. So for all of us here at the podcast division, thank you very much for listening. Please be sure to like, rate, share, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your quality audio content. And we will see you guys later. And after we come back from our very long international break, we say Auf Wiedersehen.